Hey everybody, this is The Hair Game. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Eric and I'm back from Austin. I really, really enjoy going to Texas, especially Austin. And uh, I tend to find myself saying y'all a lot when I'm there and then when I come back for just a couple days. So if I say y'all during this intro or the outro, just know that there's some residual influence there. However, I am from Dallas originally, so I am licensed to use the word y'all at will. So a good thing for you to know. This episode was uh, an interview that I did with Your Day Off podcast done by Heritistry, two guys named Corey and Tony out of Maryland. They chased me down for a while and uh, we finally got it done. They um, interviewed me about the early days of Salon Republic, so I hope you find that interesting. My audio was a little bit off, not sure what happened there, but hope you like the interview. Welcome to your day off. My name is Corey, and of course, I'm sitting next to my bud, Tone. What's up, Tone? What's up, brother? How you doing, man? Bro, today is crazy. Um, we have an incredible guest today. I, uh, I, I have uh, admittedly stalked him for the last couple months trying to get together with him, and I'm super excited to have him on the show today. Yeah, he's definitely uh, what I want to be when I grow young. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that guy there, man. So, um... Uh, all the way from Los Angeles, we uh, we have Eric Taylor. Um, for those of you that don't know Mr. Taylor, he is the, uh, I guess, the president, CEO, creator, owner of Salon Republic, which is the largest studio um, salon space in the country. Uh, Mr. Eric Taylor, welcome to your day off. Hi, Corey. Hi, Tony. How are you guys? What's up, buddy? Great, bro. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's kind of a cloudy morning. You guys got me up early this morning with your East Coast time. <laughs> so, so bear with me if I'm a little sleepy. You have your coffee. <laughs> yeah. we, we, no, I have, I have not. I didn't have time to get coffee. You wanted to be here so early. Oh, no, so. man. We're two cups in. We could have done a little later. <laughs> no. <laughs> What's noon to us? What's noon to us? Well, Eric, thanks. Thanks again for coming on. And, you know, thanks for not sending the police out for uh, stalking you. <laughs> um, no, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let's get started, man. Where um, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? From Dallas originally. Born and raised in Dallas in 1975, which makes me 42 <laughs> years old. I was in Dallas for about 18 years and uh-huh. then came out to L.A. for, for college. Where'd you go to college? 1994. I went to Pepperdine. I got, got recruited to play baseball <gasps> at, at Pepperdine. I was a pitcher. Oh, good job, man. Sports were my calling, and um, I uh, got recruited to play baseball. It was a good team. It was a better team than I was a player, and so <laughs> I, I, I played for one one year and um, and then enjoyed my following three years in, in Malibu. Can't not love that. Beautiful right? Malibu. Beautiful Malibu, cliffside. So what you, um, would you major in? Majored in finance. Well, you know, <clears throat> I'll give you a, a little interesting anecdote. I started with marketing. And then the, the marketing teacher, I, I want to say it was the first class, he said, I want you guys to go out to the, um, the almanac and, and look at what, uh, what a marketing major makes, you know, first year out of school and what a, what a marketing major makes 10 years after getting out of school. Uh-huh. And then, you know, come back and let me know if you want to be a marketing major. So <laughs> I went out, I saw how, how bad it was. I decided I, I didn't really want to be poor. Right. So uh, I went back and I switched to finance. And then did so you do I, the same? Did you do the same thing? Did you look up to see what a finance guy makes 10 years out? 
finance was the highest paying profession uh, coming out of school. So I figured, I guess I'll do finance. <laughs> finance is what it's at. Right? <laughs> and, you know, you're stupid at 18 years old. You don't know shit. Right. And, can, I, can I cuss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do whatever you want. Okay. So, you know, I didn't know anything. So um, I chose finance. And I went through and, and really disliked many of my classes. I liked mm-hmm. a few of the classes, the more entrepreneurial classes I liked. Right. You know, I, my parents, um, of course, had a lot to do with my foundation. Sure. My dad is an entrepreneur. He, he owned, at his peak, he owned like three or four warehouses and uh, never had an employee. Always did it, everything very um, independently. Wow. Um, he had an office in the house. I always saw him during the day um, doing his thing. So my mom did. was an artist. She was an oil painter. Mm-hmm. And she learned how to paint when she was raising my brother and I. And she got to the point where she was good enough to actually start selling her work. Right. Her studio was in the house. So I grew up seeing my mom upstairs painting and my dad downstairs slinging real estate, you know, warehouse space, which right. is like the most fundamental version of real estate, right? It's like right. four walls and a concrete floor. <laughs> That's it, right, exactly. <laughs> no amenities. Do the walls work? Do this roof work? Done. Exactly. Sold. <laughs> and, right. And you, you just get the worst version of, you know, um, tenants in there. You get the guy with the greasy cars who wants to come in and, you know, he's in there for six months and then he leaves you with a, a rotten, you know, space. And right. and then my mom, who's trying to um, uh, make works of art that people are willing to pay lots of money for. Right. And, and so I I literally just uh, grew up thinking this is how you make money. You know, you, you've got to if my dad doesn't do a good job of marketing the space and then meeting the prospective tenant and getting them to like him mm-hmm. and, and offering something that the tenant wants, then he's not going to bring home any money. If my mom doesn't paint something that somebody's willing to pay for, then she's not going to make any money. And then we're screwed. And there were years that were good. You right. know, there were six figure years. And then there were years that were bad where there's not much money. And so my parents, did you kind of, did, because of that, did you, um, did you learn how to kind of like budget or, uh, you know, budget for downtimes? Sure. There? Yeah, I mean, through the early 90s, I don't know how many people listening here remember the early 90s in real <laughs> estate. There were certain parts of the country that got hit really hard uh, from from a real estate crash. Mm-hmm. And we lived in a neighborhood with some kind of high flyer real estate types. And um, in the early 90s, a lot of these, these guys went down and we were fine. And it had a lot to do with kind of the frugality the natural frugality of my dad, who was raised in the Depression. My dad's like in his mid-80s now. He was raised in, in, the, in the Depression in New York City right? From, from an Italian immigrant father. And so they were just cheap as dirt. An, and Italian, it, an Italian immigrant named Taylor? Well, my, Taylor is an adopted name. My, I was born DiGiacomo. Ooh. I was born Eric DiGiacomo. Di Giacomo is a very, very traditional Italian name. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like Smith in Italy, but everywhere else, it's a very c- complicated looking <laughs> and sounding name. Right. It's very yeah. difficult to pronounce. And when you look at it, it's got a you know capital D, little I, space, capital G, I, A. It's got the whole you know, G-I-A-J 
And oh my you know, god! So when you English were in school, language, we don't have that. When you were in school, did the teacher get like kind of like intimidated? Like they saw your name, like uh, <laughs> not know? intimidated. No. They, they how the hell do I say that? <laughs> as an opportunity to get a laugh from right. all the other kids. <laughs> So, you know, remember I'm in Dallas. So, you know, I got guacamole. I got, I got, I got, I got everything. So, the, the name that my friends bestowed upon me growing up was, was D-Jock. Ooh, I like yeah. that, man. And D-Jock-A-Rocka, D-Jock-Strap, all no. variations <laughs> and derivatives of what really... You know, is a you know historically a beautiful name, right? But that, that, yeah, that's just the way it goes. So, so, so I'm so glad yeah, you. That's why you had to adopt Taylor. I mean, I get that now. I guess. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I switched my name kind of on the urging. My parents urged me between high school and college to switch it to something that is more usable. Uh-huh. And so, you know, while everybody says. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. You should have stayed with your name. I mean, I always look at them and I'm like, okay, Peterson, you know, you, <laughs> you, know, you live with DiGiacomo for uh, a month or two and then tell me how much you like it. That's it. I'm glad we're Stuart and Gray, man. Those are so simple and, uh, you know, quote unquote American. Right. <laughs> yeah, e- easy to live with. You know, there is a practicality about a name. <laughs> no doubt. Sorry, I didn't mean to get you off your story, but yeah, uh, I just don't know how we figured out Taylor. From the great. So at least no, your parents so, showed you how, I mean, work ethic. I mean, that's right. Yeah, no doubt. So work ethic and, and kind of a, a fundamental pragmatism about the way that you go about things, you know, whether it's um, whether it's, you know, uh, the subject matter that you're painting. You know, my mom's the kind of artist who she painted. Uh, of course, she painted what she wanted to paint. Uh-huh. But a little bit more importantly, she painted what people were willing to buy. <laughs> right. So. You know, Smart. you have to be you have to be uh, practical about things. You know, with my dad, um, you, you, there's no room for stubbornness. You know, when you're an entrepreneur and you eat what you kill, period. Right. Period. You, you can't be stubborn about things. Uh, you can't be high-minded. You have to be practical, and um, and you, you have to listen to your customer, and you have to do what it takes. And so I grew up watching this as being basically how you make money. Right. It was it never even occurred to me to go get a job somewhere. So anyway, so fast forward to college, studied finance. Um, I, I still didn't want to get a job anywhere. I wanted to do my <laughs> own thing. So I started looking at um, uh, certain businesses that had kind of a combination of, you know, artistry and commerce. Mm-hmm. My brother, you know, given the same background, he was a little bit older. So um, he had done, he had gone through the same process four years before me, he sure. became an architect. So that, that was his way to combine it. Um, but he was in a big firm and he hated it. Yeah. You know, the, the big firm made him stay until nine o'clock at night and do all this stuff he didn't want to do. And there was no purpose to it and all this kind of stuff. He now, you know, um, moving forward about 15 years from then, 20 years from then, he, he's his, uh, kind of a sole proprietor architect, right. independent architect. Has he designed so, any of yours? Any of your he's studios? Not. He's, in, he's in San Francisco. Okay. He does mostly residential. He's done a few commercial, but, um, you know, in LA, we need people tied in with the city. You know, there's all this, um, we have our own, you know, regulations down here and sure. codes and stuff. So we need LA people. That makes sense. But yeah, but, um, so that's how he did it. I, I was looking for kind of a way to combine the artistry and the commerce. And I happened upon the salon business when, um, 
when a girlfriend of mine's hairdresser moved to an independent salon. And I thought, wow, that's amazing because these are artists. They're in there and they're doing their own thing. And there's really a commercial component to it. It's not just, you know, a, a somebody slinging paint on a canvas expecting people to buy it. No. But there's a real commercial component people need to get their haircut. <laughs> and I love that about it. It had kind of a, it, it had the, the whimsy of the art. It had the practicality of, you know, the, uh, the commerce. And so I dove in and I, I moved back to Dallas and Dallas was the, um, was the original, I guess the original city of this concept, the studio salon concept. So when you went with your girlfriend, was that in Dallas or was that um, yeah, in the LA I, area? I graduated, moved back to Dallas. Uh, okay, so so your girlfriend went to get a haircut, and you were actually in Dallas. So that's right. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Right. She um, called me. She called me from the landline. If you guys remember what those are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're old enough. We're old enough, Eric. We have you by a few years. <laughs> um, and and she said uh, my hairdresser just moved to to this uh, salon where she has her own space, along with all these other hairdressers with their own spaces. And she's, she's like, you got to check it out. And I thought that's incredible. Now, I had already been going around town, um, walking into salons cold and asking, asking to talk to the salon managers or right. the salon owners. So I had my, my eyes set on, on this industry. It felt right. It felt like something. It was exciting to me. Real estate was not exciting to me. <laughs> no. Like meeting, meeting some schmo to rent the warehouse space to do whatever he wanted to do. And uh, that, that had, I had no interest in that. Right. Um, but, but the, the salon thing was very interesting to me. I liked my hairdresser a lot. You know, I've been going to him for years mm -hmm. and we were friends and we talked about it every time I went in there. So I would walk into salons and I would take a few minutes of the owner's time and I would just ask them questions. And, um, you know, I would, I would hang around. I hung around in a few salons in Dallas, um, in, I guess I was 22 years old. Right. It was in 1998. I mean, so, all salons so, have like great energy and stuff. I mean, what 22 year old doesn't want to kind of hang out, you know? Totally. And of course there, there's girls around, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's fun. It's yeah, no doubt. informal sort of environment. I thought it was so cool. A lot of my friends from college were uh, also of course finance majors and they were going on to the dot coms. Right. And working in office buildings with, you know, blue or white button down shirts and dark gray slacks and da 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 da. da. And, you just gave you know, me the not, chills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not sleeping um, because they, they're working 90 hours a week and all this other stuff. I had one friend who um, started having um, trouble with his eyes. And so he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, if you don't start sleeping more, you're going to lose your eyesight. Whoa, 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 whoa. You can lose your eyesight from not sleeping, from sleep that's deprivation? What, that's, what he, that's what he told my friend, and that's what my friend told me. Oh, uh, that's and, scary. And so, <laughs> forget that. that. That does not sound like something for me. So, um, so I, liked, I liked the salon environment. And so then my girlfriend calls me. She tells me about this thing. I go in and I check out this this uh, uh, this uh, new salon in, in Dallas right. that uh, was all studios. And I was greeted by uh, Keith Clark, who is the guy who originally developed the concept right. in, in the late 80s. And Keith was at the salon that day. I think he was managing the salon. I, can I slow and, you down for just a second? Yeah. 
did, and I guess you're going to have to speak for Keith a little bit, did this evolve kind of like from booth rentals, like a booth rental situation, you know, whereas, you know, you just rent a, yeah. a, a regular chair in a regular salon and then um, Keith actually so, saw the next level in, or the next evolution in, right. in the process? So what, what he did was uh, he was in uh, Amarillo, Amarillo, Texas. Uh-huh. And uh, now Keith is in his 80s now, so, so understand the timing. We're going back a ways. So it, from in Amarillo, Texas, he had gotten his uh, barbering license, and he was a barber. He opened up his own shop, uh, you know, a typical, small, traditional barber shop. And, but he had greater aspirations. He, he got to the point where he opened five of them. And he had barbers, and he had hairdressers in there. Mm-hmm. And he found that he was spending so much time managing the conflict between the people, you know, who were supposed to be teammates and friends and, and all that. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, you're next to somebody all day, every day, and you hear the same stuff all the time, and you get on each other's nerves. You don't have <laughs> your own space. So he started putting partitions between them just to give them their own space for when they were actually doing a client. Salon cubicles? Yeah. Um, I, I don't remember exactly how it initially began. It might have been curtains. But, you know, he, it literally developed into um, like half-high uh, drywall partitions. And then at a certain point, I think in one location, he's like, well, why don't we just, you know, enclose them to, to make sure that they can, you know, put on their own music. He realized that what he was kind of falling into had a lot of promise with the hairdressers that were working in his salons. However, the five locations that he had wasn't really the right place to roll it out. So he sold those five locations and then he took over an old grocery store in Lubbock. And I want to say it was huge, like 20, 30,000 square feet. Holy he opened cow. up, so he put studios in, in this enormous space. In the whole space, just, so the whole 30,000 square that, feet. That's my understanding. Wow. I, I haven't talked to him in maybe a year. I, I got to call him up and get refreshed. <laughs> but but um, he put studios in there. I want to say the whole space except for 3,000 square feet. And 3,000 square feet, he put a, a beauty supply, like retail beauty supply. Oh, my gosh. What a genius. He, he ran this place for uh, maybe a year, and then he realized that he couldn't be in Amarillo. So he moved to Dallas, found a partner, and put up a few locations in, in Dallas. And, were they, and, and so the ones in Dallas, were they kind of the same, you know, gargantuan so, kind of space? Not that big, but they're, you know, 10,000, they're 8 to 12,000 square feet were the ones that he was putting in mm-hmm. uh, before he retired. So wow. he's retired now. Now he runs, I think he runs one location now. He's in his 80s. His wife helps him you know, run the salon. He's been running that location for a very long time. Wow. But, um, you know, I think time simply ran out on Keith's ambition. Sure. Um, but I met Keith that day, and I worked with him for about a year for free. And, Whoa. you know, I was living at home. Right. You know, these are the times... You know, you mentioned Gary Vee, right? I mean, Gary Vee talks about how young people should, you know, be aggressive and, and keep their expenses low. I, I didn't I didn't have any need to buy anything. Right. Um, I, I was driving my parents, um, you know, kind of old jalopy car uh, <laughs> that they just hadn't gotten rid of. And I was sleeping in the same room that I slept in when I was eight. Right. <laughs> and, and I and I did that um, for about a year, kept my expenses low, and um, learned the business with Keith. And 
you know, I didn't want, I knew that I wanted to put up my own. own did, did you tell Keith that or did you just not leave? Did you oh, just yeah. show up every morning and be like, oh, I'm no. here. You're no, going to teach me something today. <laughs> no, I did. I said, you know, Keith, I think this is a, a great concept. It makes sense to my brain. It makes sense to my eye. It makes sense to my heart. And I, I really want to, I really want to learn it. And then, you know, maybe I can go back out to LA and do it. And he's like, sure. I, I promised him I wouldn't, you know, compete with him uh, in Dallas. Sure. Um, and, and of course, at the time, it was almost an arrogant thing to say. How could I actually compete <laughs> with him? But um, but did you was you your know, ambition I, always to kind of get back to LA, and you were looking for your angle, or were you just like I'm going to do this? But I was, you know, dude, I was totally adaptable. I I right. can't say that I I was gunning to get back to LA. I mm-hmm. can't say that I was gunning to make a certain amount of money. I wasn't, I, I had no restrictions. I had no wow. expectations. That's beautiful. I was simply, I was just putty. I was putty in the brain and I was waiting for something, um, to form what I, what I wanted. Like if, if somebody rolled in and said, Hey, you know, I have this really cool thing I'm doing in New York. You know, you want to come help me? I, I probably would have said yes. Right. You know, so it's it's like the serendipity of life that, so, you know, you're out there and you're 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 just kind of trying to put your fingers in a bunch of different pies and you're throwing spaghetti at the wall and you're you know, you want to be adaptable. You don't want to be stubborn. I mean, I, I'm, I'm looping this back um, uh, unintentionally to what I said about my parents. You know, right. you, you don't want to be too stubborn about things. You want to be open and, and you want to see where where things take you. Yeah, so many so, of us or so many people do, they, they get so like lasered focused and mm-hmm. so closed off and they just see where they want to go and, and, and they miss so many opportunities. So many opportunities. That, yeah. yeah. I, I totally agree with that. And, and I see it on both sides. I see people who are like, you know, I got to get back to, you know, Iowa or, you know, I, or I am, I'm from Moore Park and I am, I'm never leaving Moore Park because I don't want to leave Moore Park. And that's totally cool. You know, people are different and, and that's sure. what makes our world so dynamic and awesome mm-hmm. is that we have a bunch of different people who like different things. And so, you know, if there's any advice that I give to people, um, it, it's, it's to, to, uh, you know, I, I hate to mention Gary Vee again, <laughs> the self-awareness, right? Yeah. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's been talking about self-awareness a lot. It's just, it's so important to try to, to, to be analytical and recognize what kind of person you are and what kind of things make you happy and then, and then do those things. And so for me, it was being adaptable and looking for new things and, and being open and trying. And so that's what happened. And, and, um, and so I liked this concept. I thought it worked. I loved the hairdressers that were working in the salon that I got to know, you know, they were having fun in their jobs. Yeah. You know, I talked to my, my buddies who were finance majors working at Oppenheimer and Goldman Sachs and these places, and they hated their jobs <laughs> and, and their daily grind was simply kind of based on the hope that one day they would become a managing director and they would have a certain amount of money and then they could make some young kid's life hell. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's, that's the progression of it all, right? (laughs) That's it. That that was the goal. And, and and then they could go and like buy a yacht and impress their, their buddies. (laughs) Their whoever. Um, Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Wolf of Wall Street just flashed through my eyes, by the way. <laughs> that didn't sound like fun to me. So <laughs> the, the people working in the salon, you know, doing their clients and making people beautiful and blah, 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 blah. All that was seemed like fun. So I fast forward, moved back to L.A., um, took me about two years to get the first location open. What year was uh, that? In, stu- in Studio City, that was 2000. That was late 2000 that, that I opened the Studio City location. It was it's a it's our smallest location still, um, you know, just because I didn't have enough money to, sure. to do anything right. And of course, I made all the mistakes. It's just I look back and well, it's let's all can, just so can, can we get into some of that? I mean, I would I would love to um, kind of get through um, what your process was certainly at the beginning there. Um, what, um, yeah. like when you first opened the studio, how many studios did you have in the building? 39. There were 39 studios. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, there were 38, and then I was able to add a, an additional one. So 39 total. Um, were those single I, studios, or did you have some double studios? There were some doubles. There's always doubles. Um, you know, you're going to get doubles just through any floor plan. Um, and, of course, you want some variation because some, some teams come in and, and they don't want to split up. Right. But, totally. you know, from, from the beginning of that process, just the raising of the money, because I don't have money, so I had to go raise the money. And um, let's say I talked to 40 people and 20 of them said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then when the time came to write a check, um, 20 of those 20 were like, oh, sorry, it's bad timing right now right. or this, uh, you know. So it was a long process of you know, just trying to put all the little facets together. Right. But you only need one guy. And so I got one guy. And um, then you go to the next step. Uh, you know, the, the financials that I put together, I, the, I was reminded of this when I was, I, I had a, a little, I gave a little talk to an um, USC MBA class a uh-huh. couple weeks ago and, and kind of conjured up all these memories. I, I remember putting together a financial statement uh, to the banks and to the potential investors, and I had my expenses, you know, above revenue, and and I laugh at that because that's just such a faux pas. And I was a finance <laughs> major, and how can I do something so stupid? Right. But but that's just so indicative of how many stupid things I did. Um, but you only need one person. That's I found it. the one person. Um, I, I I probably talked to forty landlords. And 39 of them said no, and one of them said yes. Um, that you know that was part of the two-year process. Wow. And a lot of them looked at me, and they're like, you know, I, I, you're right out of college. You've never been in this business before. Like, why would I rent you? You get that, though, right? Like, you get it now, right? Of course. Like, of course. What, do you, what do you bring to the table? I got it then. I, I understood right. it then, you know, which helped me maybe craft my pitch a little bit. Yeah. Um, eventually I got lucky and, and, and sometimes that's all, that's what it takes. Right. I mean, if from a pragmatic standpoint, no reasonable, logical landlord would take a risk on, on, on a person like me trying to do a thing like that, right? then, then it takes luck. And so I found a guy who, um, just coincidentally had a, a, uh, a cousin who ran uh, the Ratner Company? So, if you guys know the Ratner, you're on the East Coast. No, we're so, they're, they're in this town. No, we're we're very familiar with the with the Ratners. Right? Yeah, the Ratner Group, the Ratner Company, and and so um, I, I think this was his cousin or uncle or somebody um, who was the you know, like CEO of this enormous company, 
And so he, he called his, his family member and said, you know, this kid is trying to do this. And, and Ratner, I forgot what his name was, yes. the elder. That's actually a thing. And, and so I got a second meeting. You know, I was meeting in the big boardroom in the fancy office building with the mahogany table and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and, the, and the dude basically, you know, accepted us. Now, you know, he kicked me around on the terms, of course. He sure. took advantage of me. And I didn't have very much money for a decent lawyer, so I got a shit lawyer who, <laughs> you know, who just – she actually quit halfway through because she basically just admitted that she, you know, was not doing a good job for me. <laughs> But, that's uh, confidence building but, man yeah, way to yeah. start a career I, I, I don't I, think uh, she's a lawyer anymore hopefully not I mean I, I appreciated the honesty though like I, I absolutely a lawyer since then and that I wished it had told me that <laughs> so so I you know we, we opened this space and you know I chose the wrong contractor I did the wrong this I bought the wrong that I I, I bought you know salon equipment the salon equipment I bought was was good equipment. However, uh, when I when I kind of contracted for the shipping of the equipment to the salon, I didn't realize that most shipping co- companies, as a standard, they just drop the boxes onto the sidewalk. They don't actually bring, <laughs> bring everything in the into space. <laughs> and we were on the second. Quick, floor. get a hand truck. To the second floor. Yeah, we were on the second floor <laughs> of the shopping center in LA. You know, on a busy road, Ventura Boulevard. And um, this shipping company dropped 40 uh, styling chairs in boxes, you know, very awkward size boxes. Oh, my gosh. Boxes, plus 40 uh, shampoo units onto the street, stacked them high because there, there wasn't enough room along the sidewalk to stack them up all on the ground. So they stacked oh them up gosh. high and said later. <laughs> and so I was. So, so you're standing there looking at this like mountainous. Uh, Arrangement of boxes, and I can see you, you scratching your head. Like, <laughs> what the up, hell am like, I gonna do, man? Yeah, I'm like, dude, where the fuck you go? <laughs> and he's and going he's, home to have and, dinner. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, he's like, he's like later. So gets up in his cab and drives away. And so I'm looking at this mountain, this wall of boxes on Ventura Boulevard, like you know, traffic three feet away from these oh boxes gosh. stacked above my head. And I'm on the second floor, and it's just me. I didn't have a, enough money to hire anybody to help me. Oh my and, and even if I did, I'm not even sure I was smart enough to know how to hire somebody or, like, where to look. Where and do this you look? Is like, this is, like, pre-internet. Um, well, I mean, there was internet, but there wasn't internet. Like, it wasn't, like, there. Craigslist, right? <laughs> there wasn't, exactly. Yeah, there might have been Craigslist, but who knows if there were people <laughs> on there. I, I, I didn't know about it. So, just Craig. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, I carried all the boxes in there. And, of course, it, it took me, I don't know, five, six hours. It took Bro, how heavy are they? Those boxes are insanely heavy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 80, 90 pounds each. Dude, and, your guns I, must I, have been I, awesome. I kind of laugh because I, I have a really shitty back. And, and I, I literally credit that one day to my shitty. I've had a shitty back. I think since about then. Oh my gosh. <laughs> probably had nothing to do with starting a business, but probably carrying yeah. all those boxes. I, I know. Well, that is starting a business though, right? It's, it's like true. It's doing all the stupid shit yeah. and, and getting through the stupid shit. It's being adaptable enough <clears throat> to, to make it through all the difficulty because right. the difficulty that you foresee 
you know, before you start isn't anywhere close to the difficulty that you actually end up going through. Like I had no idea the things that I would have to do. I, I, I didn't have enough money to pay the contractor to lay the floor for the studios. So I had to lay the tile floor for the studios myself. I had you ever done, done that? Before. Never done it before. And again, this is pre-internet, so it's not like you can YouTube it. Right, exactly. So I think I bought a book. I don't remember exactly, but yeah, I think I bought a book and I, I laid the floor. And, you know, it, it, that floor is still there today. Now, we've laid better floor over mm-hmm. it since then. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but if I pulled away that better floor, that shit-ass floor <laughs> that I laid, like all askew and stuff and out of level, is, is still there. Dude, you have to take a picture of that next time you pull the floors. I mean, that's just like, that's monumental, right? I know, I know. These are the things I don't think about anymore. But... Anyway, so you, you do things like that. And then, you know, I started showing the, the salon to prospective hairdressers. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, some people liked it right away. And, I, the, of course, that's like, that's the energy. That's the oxygen that. So, that when you, so, so I'm sorry, Eric. So when you first got back to L.A., so this salon or uh, this studio concept had never been um, explored there. You, like you were the first Correct. studio to come in. So. When you're when you're talking to perspectives, like it's a whole new game. Like your pitch is oh, completely yeah. different than anything they've ever seen or heard, right? That's right. That's right. So it, it's um, that's that's a great point, and it required a whole lot of hand holding. It required hours of time per person. You know, nowadays people, especially around LA, they know about us. They 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 get it for the most part. Mm-hmm. So it might be you know a forty five minute tour where you get to know the person, right? And they get to know the salon and, and us. But back then, I mean, I would spend the first half of the day with somebody. And it, it, I would literally, you know, I, I had pictures of Keith's locations. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I at least had that to, so I didn't seem like a maniac. <laughs> um, that, that this was actually something that was viable and a viable way to work as a hairdresser. Right. <clears throat> and so... Um, of course, I had some people who came in and said, you're nuts. It'll never work. How, why would you ever think that, you know, this would happen? He um, hired him five years later. W- w- we're, we're down for it. And right. so I, I remember. Did I you find during uh, did you find during your tours that you had to break down the financials and stuff? I mean, because that I mean, that's the big selling point to be in a studio is because the financials yeah. it seems so much better. But also, you know, as the maniac coming to L.A., like as a hairdresser meeting you, I don't I, how do I buy into you? You know, what, what was your pitch as far as, you know, what the financials could look like? That is a great question. I'm trying to remember back to the nuances of those conversations. We're going back 18 years now. Right. Maybe even farther. Well, I mean, uh, not, let's not do but, the nuance. I mean, was that a big part of the pitch, though, that you had to, that, that, I, that you kind of had to convince them that this was smart financially? I think it was. I, I it still is, though. It, was it more of the pitch then than it is now? I, I would say no. I, I don't remember a great deal of friction on the financials. I, I think that most people got it um, just on the simple basis of comparing it to a booth rent. Right. And let's say we were charging, I don't remember what we were charging, but let's say it was like 275 or whatever per week. You know, I would say 275 a week. Um, you know, or is that around where you're, what you're paying now? And they'd be like, oh yeah, I'm paying 300 now. So, or I'm paying 250 now. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, and, and then I would, of course, mention their ability to sell retail product. And if they wanted, they could have that additional income. So it was definitely part of the conversation, but I don't remember there being a lot of friction to it relative to today. So how did the distributors in L.A., how did they respond to, um, once again, having, you know, like individuals um, coming in and running a business as opposed to a big salon concept where, you know, obviously a salon is going to sell a lot more product out of the chair than, say, you would as an individual? Like did, they were trying to figure it out. I, I um, Sam LaCursey, who started Constant Prof, is a good friend of mine now. Uh, John Maley is a good friend of mine now. Um, of Maley's obviously now salon centric you know, they, they would tell me about the old days. They remember, you know, when the independent movement started happening on the West coast and they were very excited about it because they had a bunch of small shops that catered really well to the independents. They also had a field team, right. Of the, of the reps that would go around to, to the salons and service them. But, but the brick and mortar stores uh, did a good job with the independents. So they were trying to figure out how to fit us, or at least the hairdressers in Salon Republic, right. in, into their kind of dual distribution model, uh, brick and mortar and um, the field wrap. Right. And I remember the reps. I got to know all the reps. You know, they'd come in. We'd shoot the shit for a while. You know, I, I worked at the salon. Uh, you know, 80 hours a week for the first three years. Um, and, and so I got to know them and, and I, I would let them walk around. Mm-hmm. That was another way that I was learning the business. This is, you know, I, I got to know all those reps. And so they would walk around, knock on doors and, um, and kind of service the, the customers that were willing to be serviced that way. And, but otherwise the, the hairdressers would go to the brick and mortars. Mm-hmm. I think they're still trying to figure it out here on the east coast because uh you know it's you know you guys were, i think 15 years ahead of us in the on this uh, independent movement as far as uh studios mm-hmm. but uh you know yeah. so uh i was talking awesome. to a uh a distributing rep and they said it's just, it's just a lot harder when they go into these studios because it's individual to individual to individual versus going into a salon where, you know what I mean, they're just ordering one big lump sum. Right. And probably That's the money's right. not the same either, right? I mean, you know, I can only buy so much product to put on my shelf. And now he's, he has to do the same pitch. You know, how, how many studios did you say there, Eric? In the first well, one? We, we have about a thousand total now, but I mean, in you know our average location, we're probably seventy-five or eighty. So I mean, think about that. You have to do seventy-five to eighty pitches, you know, sure. for for and just to bring a little bit on on the That's shelf. Right. You know, I That's mean, right. I get it. I, you know, like you were saying, like you get you get the um, the financiers. Um, you get what the struggle was to believe in you. I get it, man. I get why they don't like to or or they're not as anxious to come into a studio as as and. Um, as like a big salon, you know. But that, but that helped us create what we do now, which is we have the beauty supply in the salon. It's not a retail beauty supply like uh-huh. a Sally's. It's a wholesale beauty supply in the salon. Absolutely. And in each like salon studios, like do you provide each salon or? So if you walk into one of our locations, let, let's just speak in a micro level. So you walk into our Hollywood location, which we opened six months ago. You walk in and there's uh, two managers that are sitting at the front desk. To the right of the, that front desk are display cabinets with, mm-hmm. with product in them. To the left 
our display cabinets with product in them. And then um, behind their, their desk is a room with a lockable door that has all the color in it. So we carry 20, we distribute 20, if not more now, maybe, maybe 22 um, uh, of the most popular lines. So, so 22 no, all, brands you're carrying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So all L'Oreal, <clears throat> PPD brands, all the Cow brands, all the Cody brands, you know, Wella, wow. Goldwell, Schwarzkopf, uh, Pulp Riot, uh, Kevin Murphy, wow. Unite, um, so on and so forth. All That's revolutionary, man. And so we sell these products wholesale to our hairdressers. So it's like having a Cosmoprof or salon-centric in the salon. Are you, are you beating the brick-and-mortar prices? In some cases, we are. We try to subsidize as much as we can. Right. When we first started, um, we were uh, we were uh, mm-hmm. we were subsidizing it pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, now I think we we might be on fifty percent uh, of the of the SKUs. We be on price. The rest we were equal. So do do you get your products through the distribution company, or do you go th- directly to the product company? It's a mix. It's mm-hmm. a mix. And frankly, I don't I don't do that. So we have a, a team of people who are much smarter than I am who know everything about that. Right. And so they, they manage the relationships, you know, with the manufacturers and, wow. and all that kind of stuff. Eric, that's revolutionary. I mean, that, that, that kind of, um, I'm kind of dumbfounded because I'm, I'm just kind of blown away with, 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 <laughs> with that thought. Did that, Thank did, you. Did that idea come from Keith Clark when you said he had a... Uh, in that thirty thousand dollar or thirty thousand square foot studio originally in Amarillo, and he had a three thousand square foot uh, beauty supply store. Is that sounds related, but it's not because my understanding of what he was doing there was uh, that was a retail oriented, you know, three thousand square foot beauty supply. Closer to like an um, Ulta model, then. Yeah, well, Ulta or maybe you know somewhere between a Sally's and like um. Uh, what do you guys have out there? Do you have like a Planet Blue out there? No, you know, we have I, uh, we have like Sephora and Blue Mercury, that yeah, type there of thing. You go. Blue Mercury is what I was trying to think of. So, um, and then on the West Coast, we've got Planet Beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, kind of your traditional small uh, boutique-y feeling, um, you know, beauty supply that sells retail, right. um, but they sell a broad range of, of retail. So, and just hair care. That's kind of what he was doing. The, the nugget of this idea came from essentially just my experience sitting at the front desk of that first salon watching the hairdressers run out of the salon all day long because mm-hmm. they got a last-minute client who needed 6N. <laughs> and the, um, in L.A. You're talking about our struggles right now, man. Like, my heart's in it right now. It's like yeah. how many times I've had to run out because I, I've run out of color. Or you're running around studio to studio to be like, oh, my gosh, do you have this color? Of course, yeah, and like, you know, I mean, how often do you want to get hit up for color, uh, much less hit all your buddies and your neighbors up for color? And so, you know, I, I saw everybody running out of the salon, and, and in L.A., traffic takes forever, so it might be two miles away, but it takes you 20 minutes to drive there, 20 minutes to get back. It's wow. a waste of time. Sure. So um, I saw this for years, and then I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Sam LaCursey of Cosmoprof and John Maley of Maley's, and... I, you know, had bought lunch for them many times and just tried to formulate how we could combine um, some sort of, um, you know, wholesale distribution element into 
uh, into these studio concept salons. And it doesn't make sense if the salon is smaller. You know, if 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 we're talking about, you know, the other guys, the franchise uh, guys who do uh-huh. the 4,000 square foot salons with 20 studios in them, it doesn't make any sense, right? Because no. you need somebody there. Uh, you need a manager there. Uh, you need enough demand there on the location to justify all the bullshit involved right. with what it takes to actually put something like this together. All of that kind of co- coalesced into us taking, you know, larger space and um, putting money and time into developing a team to roll out a distribution sort of model. And it's, and we don't do it perfectly. There's just no doubt about it. You know, to all the Salon Republic people out there listening right now, um, you know, when you've gone up there and you've seen that something isn't available, you know, that we don't do it perfectly. Um, but we, we're definitely getting better. And a vast majority of what people need last minute, we do have, you know, available right there in the salon. And so it's taken us years to get to that point. It probably took two years to get to the point where I I even started talking to L'Oreal, you know, because I just needed to make sure if it even made sense. Right. And then. And then, of course, we're, you know, we recently went through a software change to try to, you know, execute the delivery of these products better, um, you know, and, but, but it, it's all in service of the goal, you know, which is the happiness and success of our hairdressers. Bravo, sir. I love seeing how your vision, like from Dallas to going to L.A. and then how all of it's evolved until what you have now. What is the what is your vision f- from here on? I mean, what what do you see now that you have the distribution company? So they're in all of our California locations right now. We're we're trying to we're not trying to we are planning how to execute that in our um, non California locations. And what, what, what states are those in? Yeah, I'm sorry. We have a location in Denver, uh, Broomfield to be exact, right between Boulder and, and North Denver. Uh-huh. We have a location in Dallas and one in Austin. Those locations have not had the, the beauty supplies. We're trying to figure out how to do that now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's looking pretty promising, and I think we'll, we're going to try it pretty soon. Is it just managing like the distribution chain, or, or what's the hold up on those, or is it just... Um... All of it. I mean, it's it's a totally different business, right. and it, you know, and this kind of goes back to like when, when you, from my my personal perspective, when I start these little kind of um, fits of fancy, <laughs> I'll almost <laughs> kind of discount it, you know, to my own uh, expense right now. But you know, I get the maybe a little fit of fancy on on going into the salon business, and then I get little fits of fancy as I go along. Some people call it vision, but I'm discounting that. <laughs> um, I call it process. How's that? Yeah, exactly. Progress, good or bad. And of course, there. By the way, there have been fits of fancy that didn't work out. Right? We're They're just old. talking about the ones that have been successful. Right? <laughs> That's all um, we ever talk about. Exactly. <laughs> we but, don't call um, those failures, by the way. What do we call those? Lessons. Learning. Learning, learning chances. Yeah. Learning chances. That's Those were learning chances. Exactly. <laughs> so um, these little things, I, I never know exactly what will what what they will entail, and and so it, it's always more than I thought. You know, opening the first location to begin with was mm-hmm. was you know ten times more than I thought. You know, opening the first beauty supply was ten times more difficult and cumbersome and hard 
and error prone than I thought, you know? Absolutely. So it, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's just getting used to the process of, of doing that. But, um, you ask, uh, kind of where from here, uh, and this is a daily kind of thought process for me. And, and it, this is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. You know, what, what more can we do to make our people happy and successful? And, you know, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about uh, digital media, of course, um, we're, I, I think we, we, we're on a pretty good, uh, setup to, mm-hmm. to uh, make kind of a photo booth, um, section of each of our salons. To make is it, it just going to be like a booth section or is it like an actual room with, um, with like soft lights and stuff? It's going to be a section in a hallway okay. and, um, th- that can get us really good, get, can get a really good result from someone who is not very savvy with a camera. Right. You know, we are a curator um, you know, on our social media pages. We're a curator of our Salon Republic stylists um, content, right? Sure. And we take the best of it and we put it out there. And so we go, we see all of our, all, all of our people's content. And so we see, we see the bad, uh, you know, much more than the good. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so in an effort to try to make it foolproof, you know, we're, we're, we've been trying for many, many months to put together a really good system of lighting. We've been working with a lighting company and all that kind of stuff. So I think we have something that's going to work. We're going to roll it out, try it. If it doesn't yeah. work, we're going we're gonna to figure it out again. If it works great, we're going to roll it out. And that's just <laughs> the process, you know. And, um, and, and awesome. it's all about whether people like it or not. In California right now, how many, um, how many hairdressers does Salon... Um, Republic, I guess we'll use employ. We got about, yeah, we definitely don't employ them. They're all independents, right. of course, but sure. um, we have about 850. So you are, um, so you guys are linked in with 850 different hairdressers. Um, that, what do they do? Just Do they just hashtag Salon Republic? They do. Uh, they tag us or hashtag us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by the way, I, I definitely need to maybe amend my answer. We don't have 850 hairdressers. We'll have 850 beauty pros. So, you know, we have maybe a hundred who uh, do f- are facialists or, you know, brow artists and, wow. and things like that. So let's call it 750 hairdressers, but we, we definitely curate from all of our uh, beauty pros, you know, we'll put, you know, we have some very successful, you know, brow artists who are heavily followed worldwide. Right. And so, so we, we definitely uh, repost them as well. How did you curate all these people, man? I mean, it, that, eighteen I, years. I'm just <laughs> I, Eric. Once again, I'm just kind of blown away how how you do that and how like even like the names of the business that you um they're working in Salon Republic. You know, you get your Guy Tangs and your Philip and your Zito, and I'm sure there's a thousand other names that 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 I'm that I'm missing. I mean, I, well, there's seven hundred other names that I'm missing, I guess. <laughs> but um, but it, it's just amazing that you know not only are you curating hairdressers, but you're curating the killers of the business and 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 you know and and with that comes comes ego and stuff too and like how you kind of you you, uh you've put a system in place to manage all that that that, that's just remarkable to me funny you mentioned the ego thing because that that i've been thinking about that a lot but i'm going to answer the first part of your question first and i i i literally think it's it's just based on making sure that we offer a a foundation of support to a hairdresser who has a good business mm-hmm. and who is willing uh, and able and excited to be independent. 
Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's just it. So, you know, the guys like Philip and Ricky and Guy, and, you know, they've become you know, famous in our industry. Uh-huh. Um, Guy was not famous when he moved in. You know, no, Guy right. was from Oklahoma when he moved in. Wow. And, and um, frankly, and this is interesting to talk about since you mentioned it, um, some of the hairdressers in the salon w- were unsure of kind of what he was doing on, on uh, YouTube. They were, they thought it was kind of arrogant and they sure. thought it was like, why would you twerk while you're doing someone's <laughs> color? <laughs> I mean, I got asked yeah. the same question, you know, why would you twerk when you do something? Code? But you know, right. it, it seems to work out for that? him, you know? Why would you do that? And, and of course people in with their human nature, um, as non-twerkers while they do hair color may not <laughs> like the twerker who, who doing the hair color. And so this is, this is just human nature. So, you know, guy, I, I, I it was all guy. I, I don't want to give myself any credit. I'm simply saying right. that, that we, we just gave a foundation and a platform on which people can become great. Right. You know, if they're not already, I mean, Philip and Ricky were great before they got to SR, no doubt. Sure. But, but it's a platform on which people can become great. And we want to support that as much as we can while still allowing everyone to do things the way they want to do them. It's the way that we build the salons. We want to make them really nice. We want managers who take care of people. It's customer service. It's hospitality. Mm-hmm. It's following up on shit when it goes wrong because God knows shit goes wrong right. all the time. Right. And yeah. you know, you know, when, when I was, when I started, I remember I, I finally got a date with this one girl and, uh, it, I, I was stalking, you talk about stalking. I was talking <laughs> to this girl for like six months and, um, finally got a date with her. And so I took her to sushi. I was splashing out. Right. And, and we're sitting at sushi and I got, I got a call from one of our hairdressers who was having a problem at the salon. I don't remember what it was. Might've been plumbing or something. Right. And I'm like, gotta go. Oh. And so, you know, I put the money, I paid the bill and I, I went to the salon and that was nine 30 at night. Take care of the plumbing issue. Um, because that's the, that's the only way that I can see operating our salon because that's that's the supportive way to do it did you marry that girl by the way say again did you marry that girl that was the last time i saw her (laughs) (laughs) what a dick (laughs) left at 9 30 at night left me in a restaurant i'm sure she totally thought that i was a dick right isn't that the perspective of life one person sees me as a dick and the other person sees me as a hero oh my god i think that's a book title much rather I would much rather our hairdresser in the salon think that I'm a hero. That's all. Awesome. So are you saying there's no hairdressers that think you're a dick? <laughs> I'm sure some some <laughs> might think I'm a dick. I, I I don't know why they would, but maybe some do. I don't know. Hey, so uh, basically check on you my... became uh, a jack of all trades, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. You got to learn how to do everything. <laughs> Just got to make it happen. Now, wow. going back to the ego comment, you know, when, when I started in 2000 or 98. Um, yeah, we had some, we had some pretty heavy hitters in our salon right out of the gate in studio city. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I got to know these guys pretty well. And frankly, they were kind of dicks <laughs> and you know, they, they had some celebrities uh-huh. and they walked around like they were the best thing going anywhere. 
they didn't give the time of day to any of the stylists if they didn't think that that stylist was on their same caliber. Right. I remember seeing this. And of course, I had to manage for that sort of personality. But I'll never forget that. Now, fast forward to where we are now through the digital revolution, through the change in, you know, the the industry from kind of an audience standpoint and, and the way that the way that our industry is so exposed now through digital and the guys like, you know, Guy and Ricky and Philip and all the other heavy hitters at SR and the other heavy hitters that, that I know who are not at SR, mm-hmm. they're just nice people. Right. I mean, like Ricky is the, and Philip, the nicest people you, you would ever meet and so humble. Absolutely. So down to earth. So cool to all the other hairdressers around them, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the Hollywood salon Republic, mm-hmm. you know, guy walking up and down the halls, you know, with his phone, with his millions of people watching, <laughs> you know, saying hi to the, you know, um, a bread and butter, salt of the earth hairdresser right next to him. Right. They're all like that. And, and I'm not so sure if, if it's uh, which way it happened. I don't know if they got that way because they realized they had to be that way Mm -hmm. because they, they needed to be perceived that way Mm -hmm. or if they garnered their audience and, and followers because they're that way. Right. I would suggest it's maybe the the latter. I I agree. I think it's absolutely the latter because, and also, you know, what is the, 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 the big fish in the small pond kind of game too. Right. Like now, if you look at Instagram, Instagram's exposing that there's a lot of talent, no matter what city you go into, um, in this country now, you know, and, and, and the rest of the country knows about them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's the democratization of talent and well of education and mm-hmm. exposure. And, and that, that kind of filters down to, to talent. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So super cool to see. And, and just one more thought on that, you know, through this kind of digital transition, let's say, let's call it, especially between like 08 and maybe 2014. Uh-huh. Um, I, we had some heavy hitters um, who, who were total assholes who were late to the digital thing. And now they're, they're, they're kind of um, Left behind. mediocre. You know, right. I, I don't want to say they're gone. They're not gone. They're not right. lost. You know, I don't want to make it dramatic and right. hyperbolic, but that you know that these they had these big egos because they thought they were everything and, and they're not even close to that now wow. and and so it's it's almost been like the rise of of the 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 nice personality the nice and talented of course sure personality which is super cool it's amazing right just yeah. you know that that just kind of gave me a perspective that I, I hadn't really had before but you're absolutely right like you see these people um you see these hairdressers on on the social on social on I almost said the social media. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> you see them on social media, and um, they all seem like people you want to hang out with. But you know, that's probably like you were saying that might be their appeal too, right? Like yeah, you, you don't want to definitely think it's part of their appeal. You don't want to see somebody on social media shitting on somebody else. We have enough of that um, yeah. elsewhere in the world. Absolutely. So um, earlier you were talking about um, when you bring on people, you uh, you want to assure that they have a good business. What what's that process like? How do you assure that 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 you know? Let's be honest, can make their rent every week. Right. It has it has almost everything to do from our perspective. It has almost everything to do with how long they've been in the in the market. You mm-hmm. know, let's 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 say that you know 
San Fernando Valley. How long have they been doing here in the San Fernando Valley in LA? And have they been working in a, in a decent salon for a decent amount of time? You know, those are the things that we look at. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect, of course. Sure. Um, things have changed a lot since Instagram became popular. Uh, we now, uh, you know, the, the Instagram's kind of turned what I initially said on its head a little bit. And it, it used to be where we wouldn't take someone um, who was uh, newly or one or two years out of U school because we just felt like they would be better served um, in, in a kind of traditional salon where they had maybe more support and less reward, right? Uh-huh. But that has changed. I mean, we have people who come out of U school with, you know, maybe not a full book, but like 80%, 90% of a full book. Because That's amazing. Because they're, they're good at social and mm-hmm. they're good at people and they're good at hair, you know, and they price themselves properly and all this kind of stuff. We, we have people like this. So we had to kind of change this probably 18 months ago. And we took a couple people who convinced us that, that they, they had a business already. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was, you know, they've been doing hair in their homes or, you know, they were working in their friend's salon or, or you know, they were constantly packed in, in beauty school for people to get in there to see them. Right. And, and it worked out. Um, so we just do the best we can, you know, to, 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 to analyze all the little data points of what we get. You know, there is an application process to come in and, and we look at it all. Um, now when somebody comes into SR and they, they want to move into a studio and they just moved here from Florida, um, that's a different story. We would probably have that conversation with them or, or like, you know, you know, how did you get, if you're, if you're telling us you had a clientele, how did you get your clientele from Florida? You've never been here before, <laughs> right? you know? And, and, and if they're like, you know, frankly, I, I don't have any clients now, but I know I can make it work. We, we typically suggest that they go, um, into a scenario where they have, you know, more services they're getting from the salon, a l- little bit less reward, mm-hmm. you know, they get paid a little bit less, but more, you know, to make sure that they can really develop a, a foundation for their business. That, do you see, basic. do you see in the future, like, do you see a market like for that in-between space? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we, um, we constantly try to, to, uh, develop that in-between space. Uh-huh. Um, with our studios, even though of course it's, it's very difficult. We know that there's limitations there. So we opened what we call the lab in Hollywood which is five stations in a large studio. It has no ceiling on it, so it's kind of open. Uh-huh. And um, there's you know two shampoo units in it, and there's a dispensary to wash out your bowls, and and there's cabinets with with brushes and bowls and capes and stuff for people to use. There's towels. We do everybody's towels for them. And Whoa. you can a, a hairdresser without a full clientele can reserve a station by the day. Oh my gosh, that that's genius right there. It's, Thank you. So um, I don't know if it's genius, but I have to. Hear that. <laughs> um, well, time will tell whether it's genius or not. Right. But it, it, it's just another way for us to try to support the hairdresser um, who maybe is not ready for a full studio. 
Yeah, and so it, it's a it's a cool space, super cool space, and it's definitely been gaining traction. People have been learning about it. People have been using it more. You can go on to um, our website and book it. Uh, you know, you pay with a credit card. It's a ninety five bucks. You know, we try to make it simple, right, and easy. And um, and so that that's kind of one. So you reserve that chair for ninety five dollars for the entire day. Right. And then there's a station that's lockable. So if you come in with your rollabout, you can put your rollabout in there and lock it away. You want to go eat lunch across the street or something. You don't need mm-hmm. to walk around with your rollabout. You lock it all in there. You lock your tools in there. And um, and then just you know leave and then come back for your next client. I am so impressed with, from even from the, the very early years when you said that you were just like, just like clay, just, you know, just, or like water, just flowing, just trying to just not be stuck in a particular vision. And mm-hmm. even now, 18 years later, it seems like you're still like that, you know, still, still innovating. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible because most people will have their business plan and this is what we are and this is where we're going. You know right, what I mean? You're still true. constantly evolving. That's, that's amazing. That's pretty great, man. Big high fives yeah, to Eric. It, it, Thank you very much. And it, it's it's part of what makes it fun for me. And um, and it's just the logical way that I think things need to happen. Mm-hmm. So if I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. True that. Um, that's, you true. Know. that's the mantra so. of our podcast, by the way. That's pretty cool. So um, let's, uh, let's, I mean... Let's fast forward to there. So, how did the uh, how the podcast come up and like in your in your vlogs and stuff? Which I'm, I'm I might be your biggest fan, or like I said, I'm I'm definitely an Eric stalker. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> thank you for stalking so, me. Get out of my bushes, you. bro. Oh, yeah. Anyone who's like <laughs> finds me valuable enough to stalk me, I'm so grateful for that. that you know, thank you. Um, He's gonna so leave me out for the, sushi. The hair, we call it the hair game, and uh-huh. it came about from kind of the process of me having these one-off conversations with our hairdressers over time, over all the years, you know, me, I, am in the salon two, three days a week, at least walking around. And I know a lot of our hairdressers really well. And I uh-huh. stop and bullshit for a while. And I have conversations with them. They tell me things, you know, I tell them things and, and I would leave the salon so many times thinking that was such a great conversation. And I've heard this a couple times before. Mm-hmm. Well, I, how do I let everybody else at Salon Republic know right. about what we talked about? Because there was value that came from that exchange. So your intention was just to have an avenue for um, your you know, 700 um, other hairdressers or your, your 850 other beginners. Beauty pros, I like yeah. that. Um, so yeah. that was just the avenue. So the rest of us that are on the East Coast, we just get, we just benefit from that. Pretty much. Well, thank yeah. you, sir. So you know, it's we've got a thousand uh, across our non-California locations in total, uh, California plus non-California. So it was, it was basically the idea was just to scale those individual conversations across. Um, all of our people mm-hmm. that that was the original idea and so it's like okay well how do we do that um you put a camera in front of me and then i say something and then we send it via email to everybody or right. do we put it on youtube or do we put it on instagram you know how do we do it and then um you know over time we just kind of 
um, w- w- the idea gelled into mm-hmm. what it is now, which is which is basically a vlog, a video blog, which is on our website, uh, hosted by YouTube. So you can see it on the website, salonrepublic.com, or YouTube, which is the hair game on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And then love that name, the by the way. And the the podcast really came about because I didn't believe, and uh, the the marketing people in our office. We, we didn't really trust that people would be willing to sit down and, you know, dedicate their visual time as well as their kind of audio time to watching me or somebody else right. sit there and talk to them about, you know, a, 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 um, you know, some business hair business related matter. Right. And so we thought, OK, well, maybe a podcast um, and, and right, uh, right about that same time. Uh, a friend, I ran, run into a friend of mine named Sharky, and Sharky's like, um, "Hey, have you, uh, you know, what what you're doing with Salon Republic reminded us, reminded me of something that I listened to on a podcast the other day." And I said, "Podcast? What the hell is that?" <laughs> and so he grabs my phone, shows me where the podcast app is on my iPhone, and downloads a particular podcast, and says, "You know, listen to this." And I was hooked from like the first five minutes. I was right. hooked. And it's, it's basically all I do in the car um, and when I work out is listen to podcasts or audiobooks. Okay. Have you listened to our podcast, Eric? I have not yet. Oh. I apologize. I, <laughs> I do totally intend to, but uh, I, I have not yet. Yeah, listen to this guy, Eric Taylor, we're going to have one in a few weeks. <laughs> you know he's going to – that'll be the first one he listens to. <laughs> Definitely not listening to my. I'll give you a download, but I'm not going right. to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, sir, I think we're wrapping up now. Uh, I, I, your journey for the hairdresser, because it's not even in the in the hairdresser, but for the hairdresser has been remarkable and you know so inspiring. So I mean, just yeah, what what you have done for the hairdresser it just, has been amazing. I mean, it's just innovative. Um, you know, I, I, we, we feel what you're doing on the East Coast because um, Tony and I were in a studio situation, and um, it, it, it's very much because of, you know, what, what you've created out there on the West Coast. And by the way, when you had that meeting with the Ratners, they are now doing the studio concept. Absolutely. Right. So Salon Plaza, yeah. right? Yep. Salon, Plaza, Salon Plaza, yep. yep. Thank you, Eric. I thank you, guys. I thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Um, thanks for paying attention to me and caring about me enough to have mm-hmm. me on here. And, um, you know, I, I'm, th- I'm going to go. Now I feel so guilty. I'm going to go and I'm going <laughs> to listen to the first episode of um, your day off. Awesome. With a cup of coffee. With a cup of coffee. That's right. I, I definitely need a cup of coffee. So, Eric, <laughs> we'll make this official. Um, Eric Taylor of Salon Republic, thank you very much for joining us on your day off. Hey guys, thanks for listening. I want to give a shout out to a past episode called How to Use a Smile. If you've listened to it, this is a reminder to use those tools the best you can. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. It's relatively short, but I think it's one of the most powerful and valuable episodes that we've done. And it's valuable for everybody, um, not just hairdressers, but especially hairdressers because as hairdressers you see so many people during the day and you have so much influence disproportionate influence on the people around you because you see so many different people so go back listen to it use it and let me know about it 
Have you used it? Has it benefited you? Have you seen results? Um, do you like it or is it totally annoying? You can't do it, just can't work yourself up to do that. I wanna hear from you. Please leave a review um, or DM me on Instagram or Salon Republic, of course, I read it all. And uh, love you guys, have a great week and I'll hit you up next time.